Acts chapter 1. We're going to jump down to verse number 12. We spent the last three weeks looking at the first 11 verses. And so we're going to be jumping now um, over the next couple of weeks. We'll be looking here at verses 12 through 26. And we're talking about the church ablaze. We're looking at the very beginning of the, um, the, the church there in Jerusalem and the, the great commission that we saw there that Christ gave to the church, uh, to the disciples and, and uh, the apostles, obviously to the church, um, and the promises that he made. And so tonight we're going to be looking specifically at the subject of an amazing prayer meeting. And this next passage of scripture we look at is just a, an incredible, one of the amazing prayer meetings that we find in the book of Acts. And, um, and so let's go ahead and look here, Acts chapter 1, verse number 12 through verse number 26. And I'm going to get, if I could, let's get a couple of volunteers to read some scripture tonight that would help out. All right, Ellie, if you will read um, verses 12 through 15, okay, in just a moment. 12 through 15, and then I need 16, let's get three people, 16 through 22. Thank you, Tim. 16 through 22, and then 23 through 26. Who'd be willing? Thank you, PJ. All right, so when we get to your spot, if you want to go ahead and just stand up and, and read it so everybody can hear it, uh, we're in Acts chapter 1, verse number 12. Go ahead and stand and read if you would. Alabet. Let's stop for just a moment. What is a bishop? Bishop Rick. Anybody know? Leadership. It's a position of appointed of a bishop, which had been a, a place of leadership. Yeah. All right. Next three verses. 
you. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you so much, Lord, for this wonderful truth that we read here tonight. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to understand. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts. I pray that we'd focus now, uh, Lord, as we study your word. Lord, that we would um, properly divide it. Uh, Lord, that we would get the, the moral from it. Lord, that we would grow from it. Uh, Lord, that we would be strengthened, our faith would grow. Lord, I thank you for what we're looking at tonight about prayer. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, to come to you, to be able to speak to you. And Lord, I thank you for allowing us to come directly to your throne. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amazing passage of scripture. We're going to come, we're going to look at it in a moment. But I want to just start with kind of giving an introduction, kind of thinking about this a little bit tonight. Thinking about the whole purpose of what we're wanting to drink, uh, get from this, what we want to um, draw from this for ourselves. And I, I heard a story about uh, uh, Burt Lancaster, and uh, many of you know who that is. Younger people probably won't, but Burt Lancaster, a uh, person from yesterday, I enjoyed watching many of his, um, his uh, uh, cowboy movies, different movies that he was in. He was always the, the hard guy with a soft heart, it seemed like, but good stuff like that. But, you know, when he first started out, he didn't start out being a superstar. He didn't start out being the, the head role um, of the movie. He started out, actually, from what I understand, he started out um, in, in, in trying to get a job in a circus, as a circus performer. And so he went to try out for the job, the story goes, and, and it's fortunate that he even got the job, because when he was asked to do some things to decide whether he was able to take the job on to be on the circus, one of the things he was told to do was get on the parallel bars. And so he got on the parallel bars, he leaped on the bars, he began his routine, and as he began to swing around, he was so nervous, his timing was off, he spun off, he fell right on his face, 10 feet up, fell splat right on his face. I mean, can you imagine, you're trying out for a job, and that's your first place, you know, first thing happens, you fall on your face. Well, he got angry, he got back on there, jumped back on, started doing it again. This time, he flung off, got his timing off, fell right on his back right there. He didn't give up, though. He got right back on. He says, I can do this. He got back on. He leaped there. He did it the third time. And the third time was worse than the first two. A horrible thing. Well, the agent came over that was doing the hiring. He picked him up and he said this. He said, son, if you won't do that again, you've got a job. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, I say that for this reason. Can you imagine most of us as Christians, isn't that exactly the way that we try to do things? Let me explain. We try to say, I'm going to do this for the Lord. We get out there in our own strength. We try to jump in. We try to do it our way. We try to do it in our power. And what do we do? What happens when we try to do it in our power? We fail. Fall right on our face. So what do you do? You, you get on your knees. No, no, you don't get on your knees. You get back up. You say, oh, no, I'm not going to fall down. And I can do this thing. And you try again. And you fail again. And so you do it again. And you fail it again. Finally, the Lord comes over and he says, my child, if you won't do that again, you can come serve me. I'll empower you. I'll give you the strength that you need to do what I'm calling you to do. And that's exactly what we need. We look at this passage of scripture. We see what's going on. We've already talked about it. After Christ's ascension, the disciples, there they were. Christ had told them to wait. They might have been tempted to mount the bars and start performing in their own strength, but they didn't do that. They understood that they needed to trust God. They need to trust God to give them the power that they need, to give them the, the, the plan that they needed, to, to lead them in the perfect timing that God had for them. They couldn't figure that all out themselves. Have you figured it out yet? We can't figure it out ourselves. 
We can't do it in our own strength. They understood that. They were waiting. Now, they weren't always perfect with this, but they were at this time. They were waiting, setting an example to us. And they're doing exactly what the, the risen Lord had told them to do. Back in Luke chapter 24 and verse 9, he told them, Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. They were being obedient to what he had said. In verse number 4 there in chapter 1 of Acts, we've already read the last couple of weeks, he tells them not to depart from Jerusalem. But notice he says, But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, He have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. That's what he told them to do. And so it was important for the disciples to wait. To wait. Waiting for what? What are they waiting for? Help me out. What are they waiting for? What are they waiting for? Power. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost. They're waiting for the power that Christ had said that he was going to give to them. They had to wait because Christ, you see, Christ had to go back into heaven before the Holy Spirit could come. And now they had to wait. Remember, it was 10 days that they had to wait. And they're going to get that, that power, but they had to wait. And, you know, I, I mentioned this the last couple of weeks, but waiting is difficult. Oh, it's difficult when you get home for lunch, guys, and the food's not ready. Hey, Amen. I remember Brother uh, Manus, Brother Curran Manus, he used to say things like, Julie, my stomach thinks you cut my throat. I don't know if you ever heard him say that before. Some of you ladies are like, I cut his throat for him. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my. But waiting is hard sometimes. And uh, you know what? That's just a small thing. But think about the big things in life that we have to wait for. Young people, you know, I'm talking about a little bit older than the kids that are in here. It's hard to wait for that day and look forward to the time of getting married. Waiting for graduation. Waiting for, I mean, there's so many. How about this one? Is Brooke here tonight? Hi, Brooke. Waiting is hard, isn't it? Amen. Pray for Brooke. Baby's coming soon. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. But it's hard to wait. It's not easy to wait. And the disciples, they had to wait. It's difficult for us, though, to have patience sometime, isn't it? You ever prayed to God and said, God, please give me patience? You ever done that? Some of you married that person you married because you prayed that prayer. No. <laughs> oh. I heard this saying. Some people say, Lord, please make me patient and do it now. That's a prayer, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, my. You know, but we're not the only ones that have a challenge with waiting, are we? You look in the Bible, man, there's many examples of people that wouldn't wait in the Bible. Can anybody think of some? I've got some written down, but I want to get your input tonight. Who are some people in the Bible that couldn't wait? That's right. That's right. He married Hagar instead and got Ishmael. Boy, look what that caused. Because somebody wouldn't wait. Somebody else. Somebody in the Bible that wouldn't wait. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, gave up his birthright because he couldn't, talking about food like that, I can understand. No, I'm just kidding. You know, he's not willing to wait. Yeah, Rodney. Yeah, Moses, absolutely. Not just one time in his life. I mean, when he wouldn't wait, he ended up taking the life of one of those, remember, one of those Egyptian guards, taking his life, murdered him, ended up with 40 more years of training he had to get in the, 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 the hills of Midian. And, and so he had to have 40 more years of waiting because of the, he wasn't willing to wait in God's timing. Anybody think of another time in Moses' life he didn't wait? Eric? Oh, sorry. Anybody else in, in, in Moses' life? Another time he didn't wait. Yeah. 
Yeah, striking the rock. That cost him a trip to the Holy Land, I hear. Um, but anyway, <laughs> bad joke, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, that was a really good one, I thought. I thought they'd get more of you like, oh. Anyway, Eric, what, what's another one? Yeah, Saul, absolutely. What's that noise I hear? The bleeding, what do I hear? Of course, we know the answer is obedience is better than sacrifice, right? Not willing to wait. We need to wait on God's timing, in God's perfect timing and purpose. Yes, sir. Joseph, can you explain to me how he was not willing to wait? That's okay. That's all right. I don't mind your answer. It might have been something I'm not thinking about. Yeah, the prodigal son. Absolutely. I want it now, Dad. Give me all that it's due to me right now. Absolutely. Not willing to wait. His time would have come and he would have gotten what was due to him and he would have had a whole lot better life if he had waited. No question about that. And, and we're all challenged with that. It was F.B. Myers who said this, God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. God has a special time. God has a special purpose. And God will do it at the right time, at the right place, with his purpose if we'll allow him to. We just need to be patient and wait on the Lord. Wait. Um, somebody read Psalms 27, verse 14. Pretty sure that's the verse. First one there, go ahead and stand and read it. Psalm 27, verse 14. Yes, sir. Amen. Yeah. God gave me that verse at a time in my life when I wasn't waiting like I should. And he had to say it twice in that verse to me. <laughs> and it was to me. You ever, you, ever, you ever have something in your life and you're looking for answers and you open the word of God and God is right there answering it to you? Man, if, you, if you're not experiencing that, I really encourage you, get into the word of God. God has the answer. And when you're looking for uh, wisdom, you're looking for help, I, I know this sounds like really simple to some of you, but you know there's a lot of people that they don't do that when they should. My, you know, I was talking to my dad before he had eye surgery to get his eye taken out because of cancer. And he showed me. He says, get your Bible. And I opened my Bible up. He says, turn to this chapter and this verse. And he says, that's the verse God gave me for this surgery. Now, that was precious to me. To think that God gave it. And I understand that because God has for me. I understand. And it's wonderful to see that. God gives us his word. And God, he tells us to wait. God wants us to wait on his timing for his purpose in, in the exact moment in time when it should happen. There's a book that I heard about. Maybe you'd be, enjoy reading it. It's called this. God isn't in a hurry. The problem is I am. Be a good book, huh? God's not in a hurry. He's not. God knows what's going on. The psalmist, he warms this in Psalm uh, 32, 9. He says, be ye not as the horse or as the mule. Right? That's a good verse. Mules. What are mules known for? Stubborn. Yeah. What's the horse? Why would he say the horse? I believe it's because the horse wants to rush ahead, especially if the barn's ahead, right? That, that horse does not want to wait. I've been on horses like that. You can't get them to move. They act like a mule going one way, and on the other way, they, they act like a stallion, kick you right off. God doesn't want us to be like that. He wants us to wait on the Lord. He wants to trust in God and his perfect timing and do it the way God wants us to do. God wants us to wait on him. The Lord Jesus had said to them, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem. That's what he told them. That's exactly what we find the disciples doing. Oftentimes we look at negative examples of the disciples. This is a very positive one. 
They were doing exactly what Christ had said. And so what happened in the 10-day period after the ascension of the Lord and before the Holy Spirit was given? What happened in that 10-day period? And that's, uh, that's what we're looking at here. What we're looking at here is we're going to see that there was an amazing prayer meeting that took place because this whole passage, it literally is soaked in prayer. The incredible thing is that the first Christians who made up the first church, they accomplished so very much with so very little. I want you to stop and think about it for a moment. What does the average church depend upon? To see results. The average church depends upon organization. That might be one. By the way, nothing wrong with organization. I mentioned this last week. But organization is not where the power is at. The average church today, they depend on trained leadership. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with Bible college uh, education, you know, going in a seminary perhaps, learning about the Bible. But do you realize that these disciples, they, they did not have uh, a, what they would say would be rabbinical schools that they went to? They didn't have that at all. Of course, some would say they had better than that. They were with Jesus for three years, and, and I would agree with that. But they didn't have some degree. Um, that doesn't, that's not a, an excuse for ignorance, by the way, but that's not where the power is at. Education is not where, the, if anything, a lot of education nowadays really hurts. It doesn't help. Now, that being said, there's nothing wrong with a good education, but that's not where the power is at. Um, a good education will teach you that's not where the power is at. It'll teach you where the power is at. And so the, the early church didn't have the trained leaders that we have today, and yet look at what they accomplished. Many churches depend on finances, and I think finances are important. Praise the Lord that our church, financially, we're doing wonderful. Praise the Lord for it. You've seen it in your bulletin. We see our missions. We've met our goal for this year, exceeded the goal. We've been able to add four new missionaries this year. We've been able to give to projects. Uh, to the Mongolian project, we had 5,000 come from our mission project, and we had 4,000 more that came in and offering specifically for that Mongolian, we had not over $9,000 we were able to give towards that. Praise the Lord. I mean, what a blessing. What a blessing to be able to be part of giving to the, the, the feeding the kids down in Venezuela. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. Of course, that's all connected with a local church down there that's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and to be able to be part of the, um, you know, the, down in uh, the churches that are part of Venezuela. I mean, all over the world and to be part of that. Finances are important, but I can tell you this. Money is not where the power is at when it comes to doing God's work. God, he'd take care of the finances if we'll do what God wants us to do. You remember what, what uh, Peter and John said? Silver and gold have I none. Remember what they did they, 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 in, in chapter 3, verse 6 of Acts. And to see the miracle that was performed, the man was, uh, he was lame. Now he's jumping and leaping and praising God. It wasn't money that did that. It was the power of God. Here are these believers, they got together, they shared what they had so that no Christian would have any need. They didn't have all kinds of money. They had to share with one another to get through the day. Different kind of thinking. I mean, different kind of thinking. And you look at what happened in Acts chapter 6 when there was a dispute that broke out because the, the, the Grecians weren't, weren't getting taken care of as the same as the, the Jews were. I'm talking about the widow and being fed different day how they took care of them and those types of things they didn't have a lot of money that's not what they had they didn't have big buildings now that all being said nothing wrong with a big building nothing wrong with that at all but that's not where the power is at hey this is a beautiful what we've done here praise the lord for this this wonderful new auditorium i mean uh, it, 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 i think it looks great 
and we had a lot of people that worked hard at it. But the power is not in that carpet right there on the floor. It's not on the stage right here. The power is not in that. But praise God for a tool that we can use, but we can't fall back on and say, well, this is just going to get more people in here. People are going to get saved because we've got a bigger auditorium. That's not the answer. Now, if we need a bigger auditorium, it's good to have. But if we don't do what God wants us to do, and we don't tap into the power source, it's not going to work. There's some that, that rely on political power. Now, there's nothing wrong with a dedicated Christian getting involved in government. Nothing wrong with that at all. But woe to the church that depends on the government for its success. Woe to the church that's all they do is talk about politics. Woe to them, people that are relying on that. It doesn't, you know, in our country, it's kind of a foreign thought. But if you were in Europe, there are, there are churches that only reason they exist at all is because they are government appointed and they get their finances from the government. There's no power in that. It's dead. It's dead religion. There was a day when England had the most missionaries they would send out. That day is long gone. The United States of America has been that for many, 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 many years. And I, I, I say all of that to say this because in, so sadly what happened is, and oh, by the way, if you've ever been to England, you, you watch, I like to watch some channels that on YouTube. They talk about these different, uh, the abbeys and things like that, these beautiful big buildings and all the things they have, and yet they have such political connection with them. If you've been watching anything with the Queen this week, to see the political connections with the churches and, and all of that. And, and, and there's people that rely on that, but that's not where the power is at. So what was the secret of these men? What was the secret of these, these ladies? What was the secret of this church? It was the Word of God. It was the Spirit of God and prayer. That's what it's at. That's where the power is at. It's through the Word of God. It is through the Holy Spirit of God and it is through prayer. We have to remember that. We have to remember that we're depending on the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. You know, they prayed before the throne of God. They preached the Word of God. They were empowered by the Spirit of God. That's why they were able to do what they did. The book of Acts, it contains at least 30 different references of prayer. Uh, prayer times they got together and they prayed 30 different times. And, and so tonight, I want us to begin looking at this amazing prayer meeting. I want us to really focus on it. I, wanna, I don't want to just look at it as an historical fact. I don't want to just look at it as something that the disciples did. I want to look at it as saying eagerly that we look at it and say, you know what, I want to see that power in this place. I want to see God work in my life, in this church, in my town. And look at what they did and how we can apply it to our life. And the first thing I want us to notice is this, that the work of God brought supplication the work of God brought supplication. Many years ago, the great Bible teacher, William R. Newell, he was uh, concluding a conference in China for the China Inland Mission. And as he left, he said to the mission's leader, he said this, Oh, do pray for me that I shall be nothing. The director responded with a twinkle in his eye. He says, Newell, you are nothing. Take it by faith. What's the point? We need to remember that it's not in our strength, not in our power, not in our might, that we can do anything, anything for God. We have to come to the place where we realize that we really are nothing. We've got to get out of the way. We've got to die to ourselves. We have to realize without the power of God, we can't. We won't. We have to come to the place where we realize that we are nothing without God's power. We empty of ourselves, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. 
begging God for his power, for his strength, for his direction. This upper room fellowship, it understood that. They knew that by themselves they could do nothing. In anticipation of the work that lay before them, they bent on their knees, they got down on their faces, and they began to pray. There was something that we know they weren't praying for, though. You know what they weren't praying for? And this is an interesting point. What I really want to make this. They weren't praying that the Holy Spirit would come. Now, why weren't they praying that the Holy Spirit would come? Help me out. Why weren't they praying that way? Yeah, they already knew. Why did they already know? God, yeah, Jesus had already told them. He had made a promise to them. That wasn't in question. The prayer meeting wasn't getting together and saying, oh, pray that the Holy Spirit will come. That's not why they were praying. They weren't praying for that at all. They already had a promise. They knew it was going to, verse number four, we see that. They already had that. They were waiting for that. The baptism of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with your prayers. Except for one. And that is the sinner's prayer. That's the prayer when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There's not some second indwelling that happens. There is at the very moment of your salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit of God. That's what the Word of God tells us. We know from the Word of God, and the moment that we're saved, as a matter of uh, two weeks ago, I shared the verse that Paul spoke of. If you don't have the Spirit, then you're not of God. In other words, if a person doesn't have the Spirit of God, then they are not saved, period. So it's not a matter of us having to get together and pray for the Holy Spirit. There are other things we should pray for, but that's not one of them. We already have the Holy Spirit within us. The, more, the bigger question is, does He have all of us? To be filled with the Spirit doesn't ask for another filling of the Holy Spirit of God. It's simply to, to die to ourselves and to let the Holy Spirit of God that's already within us have complete control. They weren't praying for that. You see, it's interesting, and I, I want you to just picture this with me. Here they are. The Lord has ascended into heaven. We, we talked about last week an amazing event that would have been. The angels say, hey, stop sitting here gazing up into heaven. <laughs> He's going to come again. And we talked about that last week. But here they are now. There they are together. They're there in that, that upper room. And there they are. And, and now they're having to, for the very first time since they came to know Jesus Christ, for the very first time, for them to be able to talk to Jesus, they had to do it in prayer. Now you think about that. That struck me. I thought to myself, can you imagine just walking up and you're walking with Jesus? Hey, Jesus, you know, and, and ask him a question. And wouldn't it be amazing? How many of your kids would like to walk up to Jesus and ask him any question you could ask? And he would answer, and yeah, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Man, that would be wonderful. They were able to do that. He was able to talk to them face to face. Now, in order to talk to Jesus, they had to do it in prayer getting on their knees and praying. I want you to picture that and think about that. First time removed from the Lord Jesus, and the only way they could communicate was through prayer. And I want you to notice, first of all, that we see here in verse number 13, the place of prayer. I've mentioned it already, but I want to think about that upper room for a moment. It was an upper room. In Luke chapter 22, verse number 12, we see there it talks about an upper room. Was this the same upper room in which the Last Supper was held, where Christ appeared to them after his resurrection? Now, we really don't know for sure, but it would be really fitting if it was. It'd be really fitting for the Holy Spirit to come and for them to be praying in that room and, and be really fitting for them to, to receive the Holy Spirit in the same place where Christ had promised the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18, you can read that sometime. 
He promised it to them. You know, just as in the life of every believer, there must be the shut door. I'm talking about prayer right now. There must be the shut door. What do I mean by that? Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus said, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in uh, secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Every one of us need to have that personal time where we get together with the Lord one-on-one in that closet. Now, what's a closet? I, I remember when I was young like these kids here, I always thought of a closet. Well, that means I have to go in there where my clothes are at, where my shoes are at. What's that talking about? A closet. When I was over in Israel, we were over um, Capernaum. The city of Jesus is what they call it. If you look at where Jesus, if you want to talk about headquarters, I would say that's probably, uh, you would call it one of his headquarters. He went to there, everywhere he went. It was right there, north, the, the very northern part of the Sea of Galilee is Capernaum. And in the Sea of, uh, there in Capernaum, you'll find what they have ex- excavated, and they said it is, it is Peter's mother-in-law's house. And they've excavated it. They built a church on top of it with a glass floor so that you can walk into the church and look down into what many believe would have been Peter's mother-in-law's house. And many miracles that Christ did, many sermons that he preached, things that they did, they believed that was there. Now, I can't say with all certainty. I do believe it's Capernaum. I don't know for sure. That's not even the point. The point is, is this. When we were there, it was interesting because the house is, is like made in a circle format. And in the very middle, there was a circle of, of stones where there was only one entrance with no windows, that circle part. And the person that was there that was kind of telling us about what we were looking at, he said, you see that down there? And I said, yeah. That down there is where they would put all their valuables. That's where they put the most precious things they owned because nobody could look in a window and see it. It's a place where they would put that. That is what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about your closet, the innermost part of your house, the most precious, all the things you have, and where people aren't looking in to see you. They're not doing it to be seen of men. And I thought that's really neat. It's not just talking about some closet inside some room. It's talking about a special place where the most valuable things in your life are, where you're going there and getting alone with God, not to be seen of people, but to spend time with the Lord. And every one of us, we need to have that time with the Lord. We need to pray privately. But you know, in the life of every church, there must also be an upper room, a place where we get together corporately and pray, a place that we get together like we are tonight like we do on Sunday nights when we have our, our small groups and we pray together. See, we have an upper room right over here, and Brother Randy's got an upper room over there, and we get together. Do you spend time in prayer up there? Do you guys spend time in prayer down here together, praying? A church needs that desperately. One of my favorite things to hear is when we're sitting in here on a Wednesday night and we're broken up into small groups and to hear people praying, to hear People saying the names of people in supplication of the Lord and lifting them up before the throne of God. What a blessed sound to hear saints praying and lifting up names of one another to the Lord and and, and praising God and thanking Him for what He's done. We need that. You see, the Christian must know how to pray privately. The church must know how to pray corporately. Corporately, praying together. We see the place of prayer. Secondly, notice the people of prayer. It must have been a large room because very shortly there's going to be 120 squeezed in there. It's not a small room. Man, what a great day it would be to have 120 people packed into a room all praying. Wouldn't that be wonderful? 
Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, good. I got a response. Can you imagine getting packed in together and 120 people? How many of y'all would like to have been at that prayer meeting that night? Raise your hand if you'd like to have been with those 120 that night. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine what it would have been like? What's different? What's changed? Why can't we have that experience? Now, it's not going to be the same as far as being with Peter and John. We're going to talk about a few other people here in a minute. It's not going to be the same that way, but it's the same God. We have the Holy Spirit. At this moment here, they didn't have him there. We got the Holy Spirit of God within us. I'm trying to whet our appetite a little bit, folks. I'm just asking you. What's that? Yeah, we do. We do. I will say praise the Lord for a church our size. The number that are here on Wednesday night is a great number. I'd like to see more. Our church does pray on Sunday night and on Wednesday night, but I'd like to see more. People, 120. Hmm. I look at the people that were there. Somebody read verse number 13 for me. Please stand and read that. Brother Randy, would you please stand and read verse 13? So what do we see there? The first thing I want you to notice is we see the church leaders are there. All the apostles were there. These men had been with Christ throughout his public ministry. Recognized the great emphasis that Christ had on prayer. Did Christ emphasize prayer while he was teaching them, while he was discipling them, while he was leading them? Yes, he did. And the disciples, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They had a desire to want to know how to pray, and Christ taught them. Christ, remember, he said in Luke 18, 1, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That's his desire. They had, they had not just uh, been taught by him that way, but they had been taught by his example. Christ prayed in Luke 5, 6, and he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. On many occasions he did. He prayed. Now they were seeking to follow in his steps. That's what we see here. They're following after Christ. Disciples, that's what they do. Disciples follow after Christ. In the early church, those in leadership, they prayed together. Prayed together. The men in leadership in that church prayed together. You know, it's amazing today that men can do many things together, but oftentimes it's not prayer. They can get together and play golf. They can get together and go fishing. They can get together and go to breakfast. They can get together and have coffee. They can do all kinds of things. But do they pray together? Do we want God's power? Do we need God's power? through prayer. Here we see the church leaders were there. Not only that, we see loyal women were there too. In verse 14, it says, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were there. 
the women. I believe it was the women who were faithfully ministering to Christ on earth. When they were, were there with him, they were there. They accompanied him from Galilee. They accompanied him there, and they saw his crucifixion and burial. They rejoiced in his resurrection. Mary Magdalene, Susanna, Joanna, Mary of Bethany, Martha. Martha might have been in the kitchen, I'm not sure. <laughs> Mary, the mother of our Lord, was there, quietly taking her place. You know, this is the last place we see Mary in Scripture. At a prayer meeting. Hmm. Notice it says that the disciples were praying with Mary, not to Mary. They weren't praying to Mary. Mary understood who she was. Yeah, she was a, a one that was highly favored. She was a wonderful, a wonderful person that God used in a great way, but she was not the mother of God. She was not a co-redemptrix, is what they say. It twists my mind, my words when I say that. She was not a co-redeemer, you might want to say. They try to say it in the feminine form. She was not. She was praying. You know, the, for centuries, the Roman Catholic Church has taught that Mary is the co-redeemer and that she and Christ redeem mankind and that we need to pray to her to get to Christ. That's not taught in the New Testament at all. You're not going to find it anywhere. You ever heard a rosary? That's exactly what the rosary says. Talks about Mary being the mother of God. Talks about her going on behalf of you to Jesus. It, it's, it's, it's really a, a very sad thing. Mary never took that position. We never see Mary... Uh, 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 doing anything to take honor unto herself. We see Mary kneeling in her prayer to her Savior just like everyone else is what we see. We even saw that at the very beginning when she found out that she was going to have Jesus. How she prayed, and the, the song of Mary, talking about her Savior. She needed a Savior just like anybody else needs. Mary was simply another earnest believer. And here we see in this picture, here are the women that are lovingly devoted to the Savior. Hmm. What an immense debt that we have to ladies that have been prayer warriors in this church. Ladies that prayed when they could do nothing else. And I say nothing else as though it sounds like it's some small thing. No, it was the greatest thing that could be done. I, I, I tear up because I know people, and I, the people that are in heaven right now, that were prayer warriors. Man, I knew that they were, they were grabbing at the, 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 the hem of the garment, and they were grabbing onto the power of God and praying for this church, praying for us, praying for the future. Praise God for them. There they were, those women, they were praying. Not only do we see that, but we see young converts were there. This is interesting. Look at verse 14. Just a simple phrase, and his brethren. Look at the letter H. What do you see in that phrase, and his brethren? What does the letter H say to you? Huh. Letter H should mean something to you. What's that? 
my Bible, it's not. It's talking about the Lord's brothers. Yes. Yes. It's his brothers. It's the Lord's. Or I say half-brothers. They're there. Now, what's significant about that? Yes, sir. That's right. Exactly right. Prior to the resurrection, at least, they were not believers. They scorned him. They hated him. I mean, you can read about it in Matthew 13, verse 55. You can see how that then they made, they did, hey, they, uh, they scorned him. They didn't, you know, have you ever had a, a brother or a sister that was trying to do something great for God or do something great in general and have other siblings that kind of try to pull them down? Well, that's the way they saw Jesus. They didn't see him as anything special at all. And yet here they are, and with his brethren. James, Joseph, Simon, Jude. There they are. They're at that prayer meeting. Man, what a lovely scene we see here. And I say young converts because it was not soon before this they had to come to know Christ as their Savior. They weren't, they, they weren't saved that long. That's an amazing thing. I mean, can you imagine if Jesus was your half-brother? <laughs> How difficult it would have been growing up? Well, he's always perfect. <laughs> I mean, if you had to go to school after he went to school, you'd be in trouble, right? That's the way it is with Colin. All his siblings, they just like, man, Colin, why do you have to do everything so good? No, I'm just kidding around. But, you know, those brothers, there was animosity that was there. Don't let pride keep you from trusting God. And I say that because there's people that will never get saved because of animosity and pride. There was things that they obviously were holding on to, and they, they, had, they had jealousy about Jesus. There's all kinds of things we could talk about, but they came to know Christ, and there they are. They're at that prayer meeting. Those young converts were there, which is interesting, too, with Mary. Why is that interesting? Why is it interesting? Why is that an interesting fact when it comes to the Virgin Mary? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, because for her, she was, um, the Immaculate Conception um, meant that she was actually conceived immaculately and the kids th that she'd never had, she was a perpetual virgin, let's put it that way. That's what they teach. Huh? Oh, it's not true. I was going to say, yeah, they do teach it, Randy. I know they do. <laughs> Amen, brother. I agree. Yeah, it, it's not true. It's right here. It's so obvious. I don't understand. You know, man, I'll tell you, the devil is so slick how he does things. It's so obvious. Jesus had half-brothers. And Mary never asked for it. You know, the, the disciples were there that night in that room. They weren't lighting candles to Holy Mother Mary. <laughs> no, no. They weren't. So who attended the prayer meeting that first century? Church leaders were there. Loyal women were there. Young converts were there. The question is, are we? Are you present? I'm not just talking about in a place like this or just at this moment. I'm talking about your presence. We've already acknowledged that we can't do it in our own strength. We've already acknowledged that we need the Holy Spirit's power. And in case you think that maybe something was different that night, there was no halos that were hovering over those disciples' heads. They were men and those were ladies, just like what we're hearing here tonight. 
Yes, they had a special calling on their life, but God has called every one of us too. Are we praying as we should? Let's all stand as we have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to come before your throne and pray. Lord, I pray you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, we need you. We need your power. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and help us to see just how much we need you, Lord, that we would desire to be led by you, to be empowered by you, to be used, Lord, for your glory. Lord, speak to our hearts. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed tonight. Is God speaking to your heart? Is there a time in your life, in your day, when you get between you and God and you pray? get in that closet get on your face before God and you talk with him you adore him praise him give thanksgiving unto him and lift up your prayers of supplication you want to see God work you want to see the power of God in this place Will you pray? Will you pray for your week that God will send his power down in this place and in your life? Will you pray that God will empower those that are involved in ministry here? Pray for the preacher. Pray for our missionaries. Will you pray for the bus ministry? Will you pray for our children's ministry? Pray for God's power. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got His Word. We need His power.